Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 to 6 verse 20. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one great of him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever 
in the order of Melchizedek. I had a friend um, who went home one Christmas to his parents to spend the holidays there. He took his wife and his small children with him. And whilst he was there, his mum said to him that he was, she was concerned about his weight. Um, she, was, um, she was worried about his eating. Now, my friend was undeniably a big guy, and he, he ate and drank a lot, and he didn't seem to have a problem with it himself, but his mum said that she was concerned. More than that, she said that she was really worried that if he carried on like this, he could have some serious health issues. He could even die young, she said. He should think about his family, she said. Well, can you imagine the conversation? It must have been hard for him to hear. It must have been hard for her to say. But she didn't actually stop there. She also said that it was possible to change. She started giving him advice about how to eat healthily and, and to make some lifestyle changes so that he can lose weight. And she was trying to make him see that it would be such a good thing for him and really possible. Well, do you know what? My friend, he heard what his mum was saying and he took it on board. And over the next year, he made such a change in his life. I couldn't believe it. He was just, he was losing weight and he was looking healthier and he was feeling so much better because of it. His mum had spoken to him in concern and with a warning, but also with an encouragement. And he had heard it and wonderfully he made a change. I wonder, friends, if you've ever had a friend or a family member speak to you in concern like that. Or perhaps a teacher or a doctor or a pastor. Well, in this passage today, the writer, he speaks to the people and to us too with a concern and he follows it up with a warning, but then also an encouragement. And he's hoping that we might hear it well. Hear all that he has to say and respond to it. Now remember, and particularly for those who are new, we are in the letter of Hebrews. And this letter, it's an encouragement to Christians. And this middle section, it's, a, uh, it's an extended discussion about, about how Jesus is our great high priest. And look, it's not basic stuff, is it? It's, uh, it's complex teaching here. You know, right now he's talking about this character in the Old Testament called Melchizedek, and he wants to show how Jesus is just like him and, and how that's wonderful news for us. But he pauses here and he says he's concerned. He's wondering, are you actually listening? And so we also will take this pause and hear this concern, and with it the warning and the encouragement. And you know, I think he might have something to say to us today. It might be something particularly relevant for some of us. We heard a couple of weeks ago how the, the word of God is living and active. And it might be that for some today, he is particularly speaking to us. So firstly, let's hear 
the concern. That's 5.11 to 6.3. Hear the concern. Chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. So that's him pausing on his teaching about Jesus because he's concerned that they no longer try to understand. That's an interesting phrase. People here might be using different Bibles, different versions. Some of your Bibles might say, uh, because you're slow to learn or you're dull of hearing. My own sort of phrase, I think I would translate it as, you're lazy listeners. The word lazy comes up at the end in 6.12. It's the same idea. He's concerned that they might be lazy listeners. So what is a lazy listener then? Well, a lazy listener is someone who's been a Christian a while, but isn't interested in growing Verse 12, it's described here as someone who's been a Christian for long enough that they should be teaching others by now, but they're not. And all they want for themselves is is milk, not solid food. That is, they just want simple teaching. Now, this might be us, perhaps, if we've been Christians for a while, you know, but we're we still find ourselves just wanting simple talks and, and basic ideas. Let's not get too heavy. Let's just stick with the Gospels, the nice stories about Jesus. You know, and, we, and we're told that we're, today we're about to be exploring this, this obscure character from the Old Testament called Melchizedek. And, and we think, oh no, I can't be bothered. I don't see what this has to do for me. Maybe that might have been your reaction. And, and so perhaps this is a word to you. You, you. Could it be, perhaps, that we might be, as described here, these lazy listeners? Well, you might say back, you might say, well, isn't it good to keep focused on the basics, the core gospel message? We don't need to overcomplicate things, do we? And I would say, yes, of course. Well, Christianity, it can be boiled down to these these simple, very accessible gospel truths for us. But on the other hand, foundations are meant to be built upon, aren't they? I wonder whether many of you go past uh, up Canterbury Crescent, up the way here, they're building all these new houses. I walk past most days. And, uh, and it's fascinating to watch them building, particularly when they're doing the foundations. They've got this expert man who comes in and he does the foundations and he takes his time and he does it so well. It's so precise and it's impressive. But then they build the house, don't they? I wonder whether many of you have been watching down uh, opposite Western Park Hospital where the university are building the new School of Social Sciences. It's fascinating to watch that great building go up. And then it was horrifying to see them tear it down because they've got the foundations wrong. And it shows how important foundations are. But they did them again and now they're building again. And Jesus himself said, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. But he does actually build a house, doesn't he? Foundations are meant to be built upon. And that's the point here in 6 verses 1 and 2. He doesn't want to keep teaching them the foundations. He wants to build on them. He lists his gospel foundations here, maybe not the six things that we would think of, but they're his summary of the basics. I think there's two on how you become a Christian, repentance and faith. 
two on being welcomed as a Christian, the ceremonial washing and the laying on of hands, and two on what will happen in the future, resurrection and judgment. These are the things they should hear first, but then we build on them. And look, the stuff that we build on top, it won't be wildly different stuff, will it? Foundations, they set the shape for the building. And so what we teach next, it must never be different or contradictory to those foundations, the gospel of Jesus. But it's just that there is so much more that we can learn about him and what he's done for us. This Hebrew stuff on him being a high priest like Melchizedek, it's not going to come up in a Christianity Explored course, is it? But when you've heard about it and you've understood it, your faith will be much better for it. But the lazy listener isn't interested. The lazy listener doesn't want to be pushed on as a Christian. The lazy listener is content with just the foundations. Really, it's a matter of our heart towards God. Are we seeking to receive from his word? Do we want to grow? Maybe it's time for a spiritual health check. We get our eyes tested. How about we get our ears tested? Let's take our Christian life in for its MOT. Perhaps this would be an opportunity for you to just think about how you're doing. You might like to ask some diagnostic questions, perhaps. Here's a few that I thought of. Is there a truth about God that you've learnt in the last year? Something that's really struck you. Something you've taken in. Perhaps, have you seen noticeable growth in Christian understanding in the last five years? Or are you still just where you were? Has the way you live your life changed in any way because of teaching you've received? Verse 14 said that a mature person can distinguish between good and evil. I think that's a shorthand way for saying that they're thinking about all aspects of life and they're seeing what's good and what's bad and, and their faith is affecting them, you know, how they work and how they raise their kids, how they spend their money, how they talk with and counsel other people. The mature person's life is changed by the teaching they receive. So can we think of any examples? Look, I hope for many we can think of some examples. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that for many of us we are growing. Things that we can think of to show that we're growing. You know, you might see some areas of concern, but generally we're okay. You take your car in for the MOT, they say, well, your brake lights needs changing, but generally you're fine. I hope for many of us that's the situation we find ourselves in. But maybe for some you realize you've been coasting too long. Not growing at all. A vicar at a previous church I was at, he had this particular concern for men in their 40s and 50s. He said he'd see them as enthusiastic young men, keen Christians, but then life would take over. Kids would come along, work would get so much busier, generally the pressures of life. You know, but then the time passes and these things, they, they go, the kids you know, go off to university, and then where are they, Christian-wise? Well, his concern was that many do not mature at all. In fact, if anything, their faith has withered. 
Yet these are people who should now be teaching others. They should be taking leadership in the church and and helping those young men starting out on life. But they can't because they haven't matured. And look, I'm sure this applies to women and to people of all ages, young and old. At any stage in life, we need to hear this concern. Are we growing? Could we be lazy listeners? Well, that's the concern. Next, we need to hear the warning. Chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. Hear the warning. Verse 4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. This is the warning. Some who have experienced much of genuine Christianity do fall away. And they can't be brought back. It's a five-fold description. Four things which are real parts of becoming Christian. Seeing and understanding the gospel. Receiving grace. Experiencing the Holy Spirit. Appreciating the wonders of God's word. They look just like any other Christian. But they fall away. And they can't be brought back. This is a warning for us, for those of us who are drifting, for the lazy listeners. This is the trajectory you're on. Your hearts might be gradually closing off to God. And before you know it, it's fatal. It's a complete lockdown. And it's not that God can't forgive your sins. You know, anything can be forgiven. But it's that these people, they just won't come back. Their hearts are so hard that they'll never repent. I'm guessing you might have questions. I guess you might have questions here. Let me try to answer some. Does this fit with what the rest of the Bible says? I think it does. I think it fits with the parable of the sower, doesn't it? You know that one, the word of God, it lands on the different soils. Three out of the four soils, they respond really well, don't they? They look like they're going great, but then two of those soils, they come to nothing, they fall away. This fits with examples in the Bible, doesn't it? Judas... The disciple, he looked like all the rest, but he betrayed Jesus. Demas, I wonder if you know him. He's one of Paul's co-workers. His name was at the end of Colossians, signing it off, sending greetings. But by 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, he'd deserted Paul. And this fits with our knowledge of people, doesn't it? People who really did seem to believe and then gave up. But what about those promises elsewhere that God will keep his people safe? You know, for example, in John chapter 10, you know, the the father and the son will not lose any who come to him. Well, God will keep true believers safe, but the trouble is we don't know who they are. God knows, he knows, and he'll keep them safe. But for us, the only test is who keeps going to the end In chapter 3 of Hebrews 3.14, it said this, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. 
Some of you might ask, I'm worried, I might have done this, am I condemned forever? No. If you're worried, it shows me this isn't you. This is the person who isn't even listening. This is the person who who is listening, but is just not even bothered. If you're worried, you have not been hardened to the word of God. The word of God is impacting your heart right now. You know, this might be the very way God is keeping a hold of you, calling you back to himself. He gives us warnings to keep us from drifting. But what about this person I know who does seem to have hardened? And look, it's bad, isn't it? Yet there are still examples of people coming back to God and finding grace again. We think of Peter. And I'm sure we've got many examples, people we can think of who have come back. But don't be complacent when you think about them, thinking, oh, they'll be fine. You know, they prayed a prayer as a teenager. No, right now, they're in an awful lot of danger. Please pray for them desperately and take any opportunity you have to talk to them, find out what's going on, and to call them back. Now, if you have other questions, please ask them. Uh, But this is the warning, isn't it? Lazy listeners are putting themselves on a very dangerous path. For some, this will be just be a general warning. You know, remember, there's this danger of falling away, so don't be complacent. For others, this, though, might be an urgent warning. You're immature. You're, you're not growing. You're not even trying. There's danger ahead. It's the difference between two types of warning on a clifftop walk, isn't it? There's the friendly, oh, don't go too close to the edge. And there's the urgent, stop! Right now, come back. If you need to hear that warning, please hear it right now. Then finally, the encouragement. Hear the encouragement, 6 verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You know, along with the concern and the warning comes an encouragement. He's seen evidence of true faith. He's seen love for God. He's seen love for other people. He thinks, yes, I'm sure you're on a good track, but don't be complacent, rather be diligent. That means listen well and live it out. Verse 12, imitate those who kept faith in God's promise to the end. For those of us who know Hebrews, you know this is a sort of throw forward, isn't it, to chapter 11 with all those examples of people living by faith. 
You know, we've got plenty of examples around us as well, don't we? You know, I really enjoy chatting to some of the older folk in our church family. Uh, I just hear, I hear wonderful things. I love hearing about some people who are just so diligent in Bible reading and prayer. And as I'm talking to them, I'm thinking, surely you know everything there is to know by now. But they won't stop. They'll never stop. Because their hearts are so open to the word of God. They're living by faith in the promises. And we can imitate them. The example given here in verses 13 to 20 is Abraham. We can imitate him. God made a promise to Abraham and an oath to Abraham that he would have a son and that his son would have a, a, produce a great family, a nation of people, and that they would be a blessing to the world. And you know, Abraham, much of it he never saw. And his son, it took, he took so long to arrive, but Abraham didn't stop believing the promise. And the point here that it makes in verse 18 is that we can believe his promises because he does not lie. He cannot lie. We might change. We might give up on our profession of faith, but God will not. He cannot lie, and so we can trust his promises even if it's taking such a long time to be fulfilled. We have the promises of God. And you know what? We have even more. We have his son, Jesus, that's where this, this section comes back round to. We have Jesus himself. We have even more reason to believe because of Jesus. And so here he comes back to his mature teaching about Melchizedek, and we're going to follow on with that next week. But for us now, let's hear the concern, let's hear the warning, and let's hear the encouragement. Be diligent. Keep listening. Keep believing. And press on to the end. And our God who cannot lie will keep his promises to us. So perhaps being diligent for us. It might mean taking times of Bible teaching really seriously. Perhaps reading the Bible passage before we come on a Sunday to church. Perhaps taking notes if we struggle to understand and follow. Perhaps asking a question. Making sure we get to small group where we talk about it as well. Perhaps this will mean making the Bible the number one thing you read. Have you ever thought about doing a little comparison with the other things that you read? You know, we spend a lot of time reading novels or, or reading the news or Twitter. Where does the Bible rank in what we're reading? And it will also mean choosing to believe it. Not just reading it, but choosing to believe it. When the clash comes with the other things that we hear, with other areas of life saying, no, I believe in God's word to me. God cannot lie. I believe everything he says to me. I believe it all. And I'm going to keep on believing it to the end. So we must hear what has been said to us today. Hear the concern. Could we be lazy listeners? Hear the warning. It might lead us dangerously away from God. And hear the encouragement. It need not be fatal. We can be diligent to the end, believing in the promises of God. For anyone here who this has rung true with, please don't let this wash over you. Please be like my friend who heard the concern from his mother and made the change. Please, don't let this go. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word, your good word to us, coming with concerns and warnings and encouragements. Thank you that it is all true because you cannot lie. Please, Lord, might our hearts have been open to hear these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.